Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. As you listeners can see, we here at Crack Rackets are getting amped up for the 2023 college tennis season. And the way we know to best do that is by counting down our top 10 Division I men's and women's teams entering 2023, of course. If you tuned into this podcast feed earlier this week, you would have heard not only our honorable mentions, the schools that were just on the outskirts of our preseason top 10 rankings, but of course, you would have heard our previews of our number 10 men's and women's team. For both instances, we talked about the USC Trojans, and on today's show, we continue that countdown of our top 10 Division I women's teams entering the 2023 season. Just a quick scheduling note in case you listeners haven't already surmised this fact, what the schedule is going to look like for all of you over the next five weeks. Every Tuesday and Thursday, it will be myself, John Parsons, breaking down one women's team, one women's top 10 team, I should say, entering the 2023 season. Then Wednesdays, Fridays will be myself, Chris Hallioris breaking down the men's side of the equation. With that in mind, you can look on your phone right now. Today is Thursday. What does that mean? It means we've got another top 10 Division I women's team to discuss and preview for all of you listeners today. And as I have already alluded to, if you're going to try and tackle a task so monumental, you better have some help. Thankfully, we always do here at Cracked Rackets, and joining me throughout our top 10 countdown of these Division I women's standout teams is a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets shows. Of course, you knew him as our co-host of last year's Deciding Point weekly show. Now, he spun off to do his own big things. No ad, no problem blog, no ad, no problem podcast, of course. More than anything else, we're just happy to have him back here on this show to help us preview the 2023 season. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I'm amped. Like, all week long, I think I'm in the honeymoon phase, Jay, but I am so excited for this college tennis season. How are you feeling today? I needed this energy. Thank you for providing this. It's been a long work day. I'm putting in the overtime work here with the, you know, two pods a week doing the top 10. I appreciate the energy. I appreciate the enthusiasm. It's getting me pumped to talk about our number nine team here. I won't lie. I had to manufacture it myself as well. This is my 14th podcast of the week, and we're recording this Wednesday night now. The reason I've recorded so many is I'm trying to bank some in advance is this weekend's my older brother's 30th birthday. We're having a fun festivity to honor the occasion. That said... I just feel like it's a natural adrenaline boost. Like this is, you know, I came on your show and you asked me about some of the changes in our coverage here at Cracked Rackets over the course of the five years. Well, one thing that has never changed is our commitment to covering all things college tennis. And again, I I was talking about this with Chris on yesterday's show, Jay. I think there's nothing I enjoy more than going back and not only looking at the players, but I don't think there's anything I enjoy more than looking back at the 2022 schedules and being like, oh, yep, I remember this dual match. Oh, yep, I remember we did this segment off the deciding point based off of that result. It just... It gets me in the mood, and so hopefully the intro did that for you, Jay. Hopefully it does that for our college tennis listeners as well. Um, With all that said, we are ready to get right into our number nine team here on today's show, of course. If you're looking for the latest news, all the developments, the 
Again, honorable mentions uh, going into this season, the teams that are just on the precipice of that top 10. Go check out the first 20 minutes of our opening episode on USC. But as we have no additional news developments here on today's show, Jay, we can get right into previewing our number nine team. And before I unveil who that number nine team is, although then again, you all can see in the description, number nine is the University of Virginia. So before we get into the who's, Just a reminder, how do these preview podcast formats work? And I'll stop doing this after this week, but we're going to examine a couple of questions as we look towards UVA's 2023 season. Of course, first and foremost, we're going to go look back at 2022. Did these teams overperform, underperform, get their results just right during last season's affairs? Of course, after that, we'll start to look at the roster. Who's returning to this team that has us feeling so promising, uh, has all these teams feeling so promising? Who are the new additions these teams bring in to help supplement all of their roster talent? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What does the schedule look like? And not only in conference play, but non-conference play as well. What does the kickoff weekend look like? Projected lineups. Why isn't this team higher or lower? And then, of course, some predictions for how we think each of these teams will fare moving forward. With that said... Only a five-minute intro. Are we cheating the listeners out of some content here, Jay? Maybe, maybe not. But with that in mind, anything you'd like to add? Or are you ready to get right into it, my friend? Well, DMs are always open for rumors and speculation, <laughs> and we're happy to comment on it. So uh, let us know if you want a longer intro. Uh, let us know about some things happening in the collegiate world. You know, people are looking forward to the spring, so things are definitely happening. No, we are ready to get rocking and rolling. It's hilarious because my brother's now – transfer portal's open, right? Uh, this is the window for all of these players. If they want to make that decision, they can do so right now. I'm not saying I have access to the transfer portal, but I'm not saying I don't have access to the transfer portal. But what's so funny is in this transfer window right now, it also applies not just to tennis, right, but to other sports, football, basketball. And the amount of text I get. Twitter feed. Yeah, the amount of text I get from relatives or close friends who are like, hey, can you just check Michigan football's transfer portal? Just like make sure there aren't any Wolverines in there. And I'm like, I can't do that. Let's be abundantly <laughs> clear. No, um, it is an exciting time of the year, though. And to your point, we will constantly be monitoring for things like, is anyone going pro? Have there been any transfer announcements? How Have there been any changes to these rosters, I should say? That's typically our opening news segment. We just don't have any developments, do we? I guess NC State got a new guy uh, for the 2023 season, but I don't think we've had anything super notable over, these cor- uh, over the course of the past few days. No, we haven't. I don't know why your relatives need you. I mean, people are (laughs) tweeting that information out nonstop. There are websites devoted to it. That information is readily available. I wish the college tennis transfer porter was as readily available uh, as some of these other sports, particularly football. I wish we got these massive uh, social media posts about it. But no, uh, hopefully, um, you know, Michigan is heads down preparing for the college football playoff. Yeah, I like this. We were saying no introduction on today's podcast. We're going to get into a bit of an intro. It was fascinating, Jay. Because was it, if I remember correctly, and just to clear the record, I was not the man behind this account, but there was like a three-day stretch where Division One tennis portal like names was a Twitter account. That was yeah. really, that was bad English. Let's try that again, where there was a Twitter account dedicated to naming which Division One tennis players had entered themselves onto the transfer portal. And then I don't know if people just got like super offended or like demanded it get taken down because... Unlike other sports, to your point, where all that information readily available, that account was gone within the week. You're so right. I remember that. And they had graphics and everything. It was great. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. And it covered it it had full coverage of the players that were entering the portal. But you're right. It was it was there. And then it was gone in like three days. And many other sports have these, right? I mean, like volleyball has these. I mean, many other sports have these Twitter accounts, obviously football. But yeah, I don't know what happened to it. It's one of the will go down as one of the mysterious tennis Twitter accounts. It was a hell of a three day run. Like one of the OGs, one of the legends. We'll pour a shout. When we do a final 2022 award show, we'll pull a shout out. Definitely uh, like a one hit wonder on the, the peak and then they were gone. 
It was the Joaquin Johansson of Texas Cast. <laughs> it was really good for a hot moment, and it had all this promise, but then injury slowed down. All right. There's your little intro, folks. If that doesn't warm you up for another top 10 breakdown, I don't know what will. But with all of that in mind, let's get into it, Jay. We're looking at our number nine team in our Division I women's preseason top 10 here at Cracked Rackets. And as all of you listeners could see when you clicked on the episode, our number nine team here this year, Jay. University of Virginia Cavaliers. Now, certainly this UVA program has been, I don't want to say one of the winners of this pandemic era because there are no winners in a pandemic era, but they have been one of the standout programs, in my opinion, since play really resumed even at the fall, even to some extent in the fall of August 2020. And obviously you look for Virginia. Why have these past two years been so successful for them? And just, you know, for the record, you look at this Virginia team quarterfinals last year, which I believe was just the second time in program history they'd reached the quarterfinal round, round of 16 the year prior. Well, it really helps when you've got the best player in college tennis on your roster. And certainly for this UVA team, having Emma Navarro will get into all the other pieces, obviously, here on today's show. But it starts at the top, and it works its way down. And you look for Emma Navarro. She lost two dual matches, if memory serves. No, no, no. One dual match in her college in career? In 2022? No, she lost two in Yeah, in two her in career, her career. One per one year. In, yeah, one per year. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. But then I was like, did she lose this year? I'm like, yeah. And then I remembered she did. But two dual matches, a career spent at the number one single spot, freshman and sophomore season. She loses two total dual matches, of course. The greatest, what was it? Oh, I think it was 0-0, right? The greatest 0-0 I will ever see. Navarro over Stearns. In 1-0. The NCAA, yeah, 1-0, excuse me, in that NCAA quarterfinals where it was just like, if you were asking, people would always ask me, how good is Emma Navarro? And I would always say, she's just one shot better than you. Like, that was her in college tennis. She was always one shot better than every opponent she faced. Case in point, the one in love win over Peyton Stearns in the quarterfinals. And certainly, it wasn't just the singles court, by the way. You look for Emma Navarro contributing in doubles. She and Heba Shake last year, 12-5 and five at that number one position. And, you know, you look for UVA overall. They won 68-69% if you round up of their dual match individual doubles flight, uh, individual matches in the doubles. They won 69% in total. So again, you look for Emma Navarro last year. 12 and 5 in doubles, 23 and 1 in singles. So she contributed 35 of the team's 160 total victories last year between singles and doubles individually. That's what I'm looking at individual points. 35 of the 160. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, Jay. I mean, obviously, NCAA champion, you have a player like that. They reached the quarterfinals, 23-6 and six overall last year, 10-3 and three in conference play. Quarterfinals, not just of NCAAs, but quarterfinals of the national indoors as well, where they played a really fun match against UNC, for those of us that remember it well. I guess when all of that in mind, Jay, I know that's a big preface. You are our UVA scholar, maybe the one person I hold next to myself in that tier. When you look for UVA in 2022... Overperform, underperform, or did they get things right? Well, it's a really tough question, right? Because I mean, you talk about this team having success in the post-pandemic era. It, it goes back farther than that, right? And you have, you know, Danielle Collins in 2016 winning her second NCAA singles title. Virginia is no stranger to having the best player in college tennis. <laughs> After that year, there's a coaching change. Coach Sarah O'Leary. Uh, comes in the the fall of 2017, uh, and she takes over a program that was was struggling after hitting kind of those highs with Danielle Collins, a few others. And well, hold built- on, you, you got to put Julia Baba in this conversation. Like, come on, because honest to God, if you're asking me who was better in college, her or Collins, like I know Collins won the two NCAA singles titles, but who was better in dual matches? You could argue it was Elbaba. Yeah, you definitely could. Uh, that's a conversation. That's a, yeah, a that's a tangent day. for you. Sorry, but again, as the uh, scholars here of UVA, we just yes, have to make no, it clear. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, but just kind of having that pedigree of the two NCAA titles, and you know, most recently, you know, top ten debut, Australian Open final, she gets the she gets the shout out. Um, but yeah, Julia Baba as well. 
you know, and coach O'Leary builds that program back up from, you know, down, you know, in the forties when she finishes her first season, all the way climbing up 23, the year after 21, 11, nine, all the way up to finishing this year as top five. So that trajectory has been, you know, up and to the right since she took over the program this year. I think it's tough because I think overall in 2022, you probably look at overperforming, right? Even though they do have the best player in in the country. But I think that that final match against Texas probably leaves a sour taste in their mouth where they feel like they probably left some on the table there. Yeah, I mean, you look at the score of that Texas match, and it was just, you know, again, Texas winning that match, what was it, 4-2, I want to say, overall. It was how they went about winning that match, though. You're absolutely right. For Virginia, you know, to – Virginia really had a great day from Emma Navarro, and that was kind of it. Like Emma that was not it though. Natasha Subash wins two oh, and zero. Oh, two. Over you're Kylie right. Collins. That's the other one I forgot. And so, yeah. but but it was the depth. And so what I was going to get to more broadly is you look, and it is so funny because we've talked about Emma Navarro already. What she's meant again: two dual match losses in her two seasons. She captures an NCAA singles title, and honestly, her, she lost to Rajecki, Right last year was it Renshelly in the NCAA Rinchelli. singles tournament? It was just like. I just remember being like, wait, no, she didn't. Like, Emma didn't yeah. lose. I was just like, you're wrong. You're you're lying to me. And it was, no, she did lose that match. It was so unexpected. And yet, because of how good Emma was, you're just not going to talk. Like, when you're making the University of Virginia women's tennis Mount Rushmore, I think Elbaba's got to be on there. Collins has to be on there. Navarro probably has to be on there now. But, like... Natasha Subash was the original superstar freshman for Coach O'Leary that they brought into the program. And I'll never forget going to National Indoors in Chicago 2020 as a freshman for Natasha Subash. She's playing one. She was just as good then as she is now. And she was just as competitive relative to the rest of the college tennis universe as she is now. And, you know, you look for Subash last year, 15-4. and four at the number two spot. That means combined, again, overall on the season, uh, UVA, uh, excuse me, 44-7 and at the top two spots in dual match play. That is remarkable. And obviously, Navarro plays a massive role in that, but Subash did more than her part uh, over the course of these past two seasons even. And again, it's one thing to have the superstar at one and then try to fill out the rest of the pieces elsewhere. With UVA, I think in 2022, going into every match they played, they could argue we have the best top two, and we feel like we can take a 2-0 lead over anyone we play. We just got to find two more. With that structure in mind, to get big picture here, again, answer the question, 2022 overperformance, underperformance, just right? I think it was just right. I think during the Navarro era, with how and the depth we see for some of these other teams as well, how loaded the ACC has been, like one quarterfinal feels about right for this Virginia team because when you look again last year, I mentioned outstanding at one and two, 13 and 11 at three, 12 and 13 at four. You just can't have two spots like that, particularly in this era of college tennis, where, you know, everyone's got to be at least 60% if you want to get further than that quarterfinal round. And so when I look at the numbers, when I think about what this team actually possessed, quarterfinals of that like a really frisky quarterfinal team feels about right quarter well a few things first you're a healthy rant i hand it over to you (laughs) yes uh your mount rushmore needs work lindsey hardenberg (laughs) and emily frazier walked so julia baba and danielle collins i'm talking about modern day virginia tennis obviously you're absolutely right though modern day (laughs) i mean what we're talking 2010 yeah 2010s onwards yeah i guess you're right you're right i concede you're right (laughs) I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, that aside, I think quarterfinal feels maybe just right, but I think there were some other accolades that they were able to accomplish that, you know, tips them into just the overperform, which isn't to say that we didn't expect it, but just that it was a maybe a more outstanding season than we expected, right? They make the ACC finals for the first time since 2015. And route to doing that, they upset number one ranked UNC. It's the first time they had beaten UNC since 2016. It was also their highest ranked win since 2014. So 
I think those pieces alone sort of tip the scales for me a little bit beyond the just right into um, you know a little bit overperform. And it felt just right because they really started being really strong down the home stretch. So it felt like falling in that quarterfinal match felt right. But, you know, I don't know at the start of the season if we would have been um, as optimistic, particularly given some of the the struggles they had outside of that top two. Well, that's interesting, and that can get us into the roster. And as we move forward now into 2023, where were the strengths and weaknesses for this Virginia team last year? And as we do that, obviously, we can assess the returners they bring back here for this 2023 season. And I think all of us knew Emma Navarro. We were very fortunate to get that second year from her in college tennis, particularly after she wins that national championship. Now, there was an outside shot, an outside shot that she was going to stick around UVA one more year, perhaps, to get to play with her younger sister. Now, it got to a point where the pro results, it was just undeniable. When it's time to go, it's time to go. And I think for Emma Navarro, we all agree it was time for her to go. But outside of that, Jay... A lot of this team is back from last season, and certainly it starts with Subash, who it's just hilarious to me that she plays one as a freshman, two as a sophomore, two as a junior, one as a senior. Like, it's just like that. It's it's the full circle. Although, for what it's worth, Subash does have another year of eligibility left. So I say senior. I should have said fourth year would be the more accurate assessment. And we're well, talking about we UVA. Say at UVA. Yeah, so exactly. That's what I was going to say. And we're also talking about UVA. So I'll get with the vernacular. Subash is back. Again, we're just going to go one by one by these through these returners here, Jay. We have no questions about her ability to step into the number one spot, right? Like I, I feel she is ready for that position to take it back. And even as with how good the ACC always is, she's a top tier number one singles player. She's a top twenty player in the country, I think, unequivocally. Yeah, and she always gets better as the season go goes on. She's someone who doesn't play much during the summer season, kind of gets back into form in the fall, plays a light fall. Maybe you don't see those sort of like deep runs in the national tournaments, but by the end of the year, you know, she's making the round of 16 at the NCAA singles tournament. She's knocking off other schools, number ones, like she often gets into form there. So yeah, I don't have any doubts about uh, her level or her form. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's move on beyond her. And again, there are a bunch of players for us to discuss here. How about Elaine Chervinsky, the sophomore who comes back? You look for Chervinsky again, numbers wise last season, I think don't quite reveal how good she actually was if you used your eyes and watched her play a ton of tennis. Now, Chervinsky, 18 and 15 overall, 9 and 7 in singles in dual match play, 2 and 0 at 1, 4 and 2 at 2, 3 and 5 at 3. Obviously, there were some injuries that factored into the mix as well, but I think why I'm a little high, or not a little bit higher on this Virginia team, but why the stock doesn't drop for me, even after losing a player like an Emma Navarro, is the fact that when we saw Travinsky healthy last year, Jay, I thought she was really good. We just didn't see her that healthy. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know, she was out for their UNC and Duke swing in the early part of the spring season, so you, you know, they lost both of those matches. You know, they might have lost them anyway, but you chalk that up. You know, Travinsky's not there. It was tough for her to get rhythm, and she is an excellent ball striker. She reminds me of like a Lindsay Davenport. It feels like she needs reps uh, in that regard of like just the rhythm needs to be there, and she needs to um, she needs to be playing matches, but she needs to also be uh, you know observant of her body. So it was tough to find that form, tough to find that rhythm. When she was there, she was great. Um, but it was tough to come back. And so sometimes you never really knew what you were going to get with Elaine. You weren't quite sure what version was going to show up on the court. So I think that that's also a part of being a freshman acclimating to college tennis. So, you know, you talked about this on the last show, the sophomore slump or the sophomore surge. I think it's very realistic that now with a full year under her belt, you know, an additional year of taking care of the body. I mean, that could really be a sophomore surge here. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of the results she had last season. Three sets didn't finish with uh, Viedmanova. She also goes three sets was leading, doesn't finish against Florida's, uh, who am I blaming? Uh, Alicia Dudney, excuse me. Um, you know, some of the other results throughout the course of the year, she's deep in, you know, about to go to a third with Riley Tran. Three set win over Prisca Negroho, really impressive. Three set win over Alex Yepafanova in the first month of the season. Yes, it was indoors against a Stanford team that does 
doesn't play indoors, but that was a massive moment for Travinsky, particularly yeah. early in the season to send UVA to the national indoors, which we talked about last week, how important that is. Can I just say that was one of the most underrated matches from the 2022 season? That second round Amen, kickoff brother. match. Amen. A hundred percent. all comes down to Emma Navarro and Connie Ma. Connie Ma, the freshman. Emma Navarro, the defending NCAA singles champion. There was a, a clip that the Virginia team tweeted out with was like a over the back flip uh, overhead that Navarro hit. It kind of made like UVA Twitter rounds for shot of the week. Excellent, excellent match. Uh, really got us kickstarted for what was a, a really strong season for uh, Virginia and for Connie Ma as well. Yeah, and now, I mean, obviously looking at this UVA team uh, here in 2022 and what they've done so far, um, I believe um, I got to find the Travinsky's or the fall stats for UVA because I don't think I have them. In, I thought I had them in front of me a second ago. Here we go. Travinsky eight and three, eight, eight and three, three in the yep. fall in singles. Um, I mean, so we're looking at the returner roster, and I want to move on to the next player because I think I think it's two groups, uh, three groups really. Subash is who she is. Like we have no questions about Natasha. Yep. I think Chervinsky might even be in her own category on this roster, and one of those players who like if Chervinsky clicks, the UVA upside is that much higher if she has a sophomore surge, not slump. My question to you is, again, you look at some of the fall results she has, 8-3 and three overall on the season. The losses are to Julia Adams, her teammate, Carol Lee, a surprise quarterfinalist, semifinalist at one of the fall, uh, I think semifinalist yeah, at fall mats. At fall mats. Yeah. And then the other one, Ayanna Ackley in straight sets. Those are not bad losses here in the fall. Like, and, you know, good wins for her. She beat Subash in three. Um, good win over Taylor Cataldi, who we know has played some better tennis of late as well. Kimmy Hans at UCLA. Yeah. Do you feel good about who you know I'm very high on? Yeah. You feel good about Travinsky at two? I, I can. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, but I need to see it. If that makes sense. That's I think that's exactly and that's why I have her in my own category. Because yeah. I think she's capable of playing high level two singles tennis. It's just will she be able to do that? Now, yeah. again, Subash Chervinsky we feel a couple of constants that we're familiar with, at least, in this UVA lineup at one and two. Now, after that is where things get interesting. And I want to focus on the returners first yep. who will have that option before we get into any of the newcomers. Ma- players who are coming back who got a ton of matches under their belts last year. Sarah Ziadato comes over mm-hmm. from Baylor, if memory serves me correct, yep. a sophomore last year, 18-7. and seven. In dual match play in singles, ten and four at six, eight and three at five. You also have Heba Shake. Heba Shake last year, nineteen and six in dual match singles matches. Again, seven and three at the five spot, seven and two at the six spot. Both of those players are back. Now I mentioned the struggles in the center of the lineup. UVA last year went thirteen and eleven and at three, twelve and thirteen at four. But again, who are the players they are getting back? They're bringing back their two studs from the bottom of the lineup. For what it's worth, Collier's back from last year. Not that she plays a ton, but she is back on the roster. Well, she redshirted last season. Yeah, which I appreciate. Nicole Kiefer, again, not a huge contributor, but she's back on the roster as well. I mean, again, before we get to the freshmen, the newcomers, who are certainly to play a role— who of Shake Ziadata, you know, of these returners, how many of them do you think need to really click? And do you see them moving up a spot? Do you see them surpassed maybe by the newcomers? Where do you see Ziadato and Shake, who were so significant last year, factoring in this season? Yeah, I think you can argue much of this Virginia squad came down to their success last year, came down to Heba Shake and Sarah Ziadato splitting their time at five and six. I think those records also undersell how strong they were down the home stretch in particular. Ziodato was 12 and 2 down the home stretch in her last 14 matches, was becoming close to a lock there at number six singles. And so you look at that lineup when they had Emma Navarro and you're going, great bookends. We feel really good about this. So I think Ziodato had taken her game to the next level last year. She is a extremely strong forehand that she can use as a weapon. Um, I anticipate her to continue to improve. Heba Shake 
outside of Emma Navarro had the best, you know, winning percentage on the team. She is one of the rare players on this Virginia squad who has spent time over the summer and the fall playing in ITF events. She's cracked the WTA top 100, I mean, top 700. Uh, and um, she won a round at the 100K in Landisville, Pennsylvania. Pretty different uh, falls, right? So Ziodato continued her form. She was 11 and four this fall. She had some pretty good losses, I would say, both to, um, you know, strong incoming freshmen. Ultimately, I think you need both just to continue what they were doing last season. I wouldn't say like click to me that implies like they, you know, taken another gear up, but I think they can. I think both of these players are really going to drive a lot of the success of the team. Well, that's the fascinating thing. And here's why I say click, because why I think they would need to click is if you're asking them to move up in the lineup. If you're asking Ziadato or Shake to go from five and six to three and four, yep. I, I don't need to tell you, but just a reminder to our listeners, that's obviously a leap in level. Um, yep. Now, the question is, will they have to do that? And this is where we can get to the new additions. And, I mean, credit to Coach O'Leary. Did it a couple of different ways in attacking and finding additions, finding ways to supplement this roster. Now, the biggest name of them all is probably Annabelle Shue. The freshman coming in from Canada was, I believe, a top 20 junior in the world. You can correct yep. me if I'm wrong. but yes, 18. Top, yeah, it's the brain does again. This I said this at the top. This is my favorite part of the season is when I get to dive into all of the player profiles and be like, "A, do I remember reading about you on Colette Lewis?" But B, <laughs> it's like, yeah, like okay, let's start to to figure out who's who and who goes where. Again, it's putting together a massive puzzle. That's what we're yep. doing here in these first five weeks, and it's very very fun. Shoe is the biggest addition. Uh, we mentioned Navarro earlier, so we'll throw her in that mix. I believe there's one other freshman as well who I'm blanking on, or is it just those two freshmen? Shu and no, it's just the two. Excuse me, Shu and Navarro. But then the third piece might be the most significant addition because, with all due respect to Annabelle Shu, who has pedigree, we know she can be a very good player. We've never seen her in college. The addition of Furman's Julia Adams to this roster is one of those sneaky, like, do you want to know why Virginia ended up sneaking up into the semifinals this year? It's because they found Adams on the transfer portal and brought her over. And Adams, of course, played four seasons at Furman, competed in singles and doubles of NCAAs last season, went 19-6 at the number one spot for, again, a Furman team that was ostensibly top 25 for the majority of the season last year or has been in that mix throughout the course of Adam's career. Let's get to Shu in a second. You add Julia Adams to the list, and you can play her at three or four, which is where I think she fits into this lineup. Maybe even two, and you slide Chervinsky back down early on. Like Julia Adams is a high-level contributor, and you can never replace an, uh, an Emma Navarro but man, getting a Julia Adams, such a proven commodity, Jay, that's a massive pickup. Yeah, you know, you lose Emma Navarro, but you just sprinkle in just a ton of depth on this team and a lot of players who could play all sorts of positions. And Julia Adams is one of those players, right? She has the pedigree playing number one for Furman, as you mentioned. She as high as top 40 in the ITA rankings. So she can take on that role if need be. You can also have her down lower in the lineup where she hasn't played before and have a ton of success there. So that is definitely the X factor. One of the reasons why this team kind of sneaks into the top 10, despite the loss of Emma Navarro, you know, it'll be interesting to see. We saw Adams this fall. She had a great mid Atlantic regional. She won that event everywhere else. I think struggled a little bit. So We'll have to see what her level is like come spring, but just having that experience, four years of experience, is going to be a huge factor wherever she plays in this lineup. You mentioned it, Adams, 10 and 9 in the fall. I don't really care. Like, that's the thing is I know she can be a proven commodity. I know the success she's had at Furman. Again, she's made NCAAs individually the past two seasons. And, you know, it's not just the one. And here's just a fun record for you. During her time at Furman, Julia Adams, 90 singles matches. How many did she win, Jay? 67. Very good guess. 71 and 19. 88 doubles matches. How many did she win? 
Uh, 64. 72. Like, wow. she's good. She's just yeah. freaking good. And, like, again, I think I just talked myself into it. I don't know why I didn't have the thought beforehand. But, like, I probably start Adams out at two. Because I feel pretty good with Subash and Adams as my one and two that we're getting one of those. And now we can let Travinsky maybe capitalize on a really strong fall, get some significant wins under her belt, get her wind under her again. And then maybe as the season comes on, uh, goes along, if you have that sophomore surge, now Travinsky is playing to pushing Adams down lower in the lineup, which again is a good thing for this team more broadly. That said... You know who else is going to play at a top four level? Annabelle freaking Shoe. And like, all due respect to Amber O'Dell, I actually think I like the three and four for this Virginia team. I mean, obviously record-wise, it would indicate it's significantly more this year. And they have the same five and six now ostensibly as well. And like, can, can again, we're seeing all the pieces come together here as we just constructed their lineup, Jay. Yeah. But th- this team is very good. Yeah, so just, you know, on Annabelle Shue, I think this is the big question is she has a big game. You know, she, as he said, talked reached the top 20 in the ITF juniors. We just didn't see much of her in the fall, right? She only played seven matches, went five and two, got straight set wins over a Sophie Abrams of NC State, over a JC Goldsmith of Texas A&M. You look at, the, okay, great. She's clearly playing at a... Uh, Four through six level. I was going to say, middle of the lineup level. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Three, four were soft spots for UVA last year. You absolutely like those spots a lot better. And maybe you say you're five and six. They're just a year older, right? So you come back to earth a little bit at one and two. But everywhere else, you're you're really strong. And that's going to be the recipe for this team, right? They are going to go toe-to-toe Maybe not always at one or two, but four, five, six. They're going to play every single team extremely tough at those positions. So that's the thing then when we look at the strength, right? It's it's twofold. It's the depth, I think, number one, because they do have so many answers, four, five, six right now. And whether it's Travinsky, Shu, or Adams, you feel really good about who's ever at four, right? Like to your point, yeah. whomever of those three is at four, you feel very good about. We saw yeah. what Shake and Ziadato could do last year. So again, yeah, there you go. You don't need your number one and two players to go 40, uh, 44 and seven like they did last year because you do have that extra layer of depth. The other thing I would throw into the strength conversation here, Jay, and I defer to you after this, is the continuity. Like this is a team that has competed together for now a couple of, you know, I guess Ziadato is on the newer side, Shake as well. But like this group was together last year. It's a core that played a lot of tennis and, you know, Travinsky and Subash, 12 and three in doubles together last season. That's a pairing you feel like could slide into the number one spot if need be. Now, again, beyond that, you went 14 and 12 at the number three spot. Coach uh, O'Leary played six different doubles teams at three doubles last year. They're definitely going to be searching for some doubles pairings. But you feel like you have a piece in Julia Adams coming over. This is just a free piece to add somewhere. Shake got a season of number one doubles playing next to Emma Navarro. Ask Brian Cernock how playing a year with Will Blumberg helped him moving through the rest of his career. I I just like, I guess, is, is this makes sense, Jay? And I'll let you tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe the biggest strength of this UVA team is that they don't have a weakness. Is that I don't see a single match, short of injuries, of course. I don't see like a single spot in their roster where I say, you know, North Carolina is going to crush you there or NC State's going to pop you there. Like this right. team is extraordinarily competitive everywhere. Yeah. And you almost feel like relative strength increases as you go down yes. the lineup, right? Like I almost feel even, I feel, you know, better about four and I feel, I feel better at five than I do four, six about five. Like those are really where they start to get really strong. And we know that that ultimately is where, you know, a lot of championships are won. On the double side, I actually think this could be a strength for them. I think you have Travinsky and Subash who have partnered together in the past. Subash, a, a sneaky good doubles player. You mentioned Adams coming in. Annabelle Shu is just coming off a semifinal performance at the U.S. Open Junior Doubles event. Melody Collard, I think, will also factor in here in doubles. She has excellent volleys. So 
there are pieces there for doubles. And as you mentioned, continuity in doubles is, is important. This could be the second year that Travinsky and Subash play together. So it's a very, very solid team. My questions probably boil down to how good is Annabelle Shu going to be? And can they keep a point a 60%, 70% win percentage at the one and two positions? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, here's what I'd say. As much as I don't dislike any of their spots I don't think I love any of their spots except for maybe four singles either like I actually really do like whomever of Travinsky's shoe assuming shoe is who we think she will be and Adams plays four I don't care if you're playing North Carolina I don't care if you're playing Pepperdine I don't care who you're playing I feel really good about that four singles player for UVA you know we love ourselves some match calculus here at Cracked Rackets the problem is I don't know what their clear path is to four against fellow top 10 teams. Like, that might be the weakness, is that they can get there by just about any permutation, but that uncertainty of not knowing, like, all right, let's get Emma at one. We need one of Heba and Ziodato to win down at five and six. Like, that that clear-cut recipe, at least this early, I don't see it right now. Do you see a clear-cut match calculus for them? Because that's probably my weakness. Yeah, well, I do think it weights heavily on four through six. And I think the benefit that this Virginia team has is you might actually be relying on the same people who just did it last season, which is a good place to be, right? If you need to continue to rely on Hiba Sheik and Sarah Ziodato at five and six, you feel good about that. They were doing that last season and they can take it to another level. It's just a very different team this year, right? And you don't know how they will respond to the loss of Emma Navarro. It is a consistent core, but, you know, at least externally, right, a lot of the conversation centers around Emma Navarro when you have a player who is top 200 in the WTA rankings while you are playing these matches. And so it'd be interesting to see how they rally around each other without that sort of, you know, you know, de facto leader. No, Emma's a generational college tennis talent. Like, there's no if You see Emma Navarro very sparingly. Uh, you know, freshman who comes in, loses one match, wins an NCAA title, and beats the player she lost to to win that NCAA title. You don't see that very often. That said, again, I think this team knows how to win. Like, I know that's a stupid thing to say, but... All of these players, Ziadato, Suba, Shake, and, you know, even Travinsky's of the world, they've been playing ACC tennis these last two years. And, you know, looking at the schedule, because I think we can kind of, let's just crank it out, I suppose, quickly. We've alluded to the projected singles lineup. Just tell me if, uh, yes or no. Subash at one. Oh, yes. You will go yeah, line by yeah, line? Yeah, yes. we'll just go quickly. Um, ooh, two's the tough one. We'll say Adam starts there. I can I can get with that. Travinsky three. Yep. Shoe four. Yep. Shake or Ziodato five. I'd go shake five, Zio six. Yeah, I can, but it's like those are your Natasha's playing one, two through four are those are Shake, uh, uh, excuse me, are Travinsky, Shoe, and Adams, and then five and six is Ziodato and uh, and Heba Shake, excuse me. There for that five and six spot. I, I'm sure I screwed up the names earlier. You guys all know what I'm saying at this point. Um, that said, you know, we just did the USC men's pod. And I said this there. I'm going to say it again here on this show. Credit to Brett Macy, who put together the single most impressive schedule I have ever seen any individual. Like, have you looked at the USC men's schedule, Jay? I saw it when it came out. Oh, I don't. Yeah, you'll have yourself a day. You'll have yourself a day. Yeah, just like that's I'm going to put it on my fridge and just be like, (laughs) that's what I look at every morning. But, you know, when I look at this Virginia schedule and it might still be incomplete, it's a really tough kickoff weekend is where I would like to keep things, because even their first match, Washington State's not bad. Now, they're not great this year. They were better last year, but they're not bad 
Northwestern, South Carolina, two tricky teams coming to Charlottesville. That said, if the Hoos can get by Stanford, you still feel like they're probably the favorite in that kickoff weekend. That said, outside of the kickoff event, it's really like conference-centric. And perhaps you don't need to be anything other than conference-centric when you're playing in the ACC. But the only significant non-conference I see is at UCF on March 10th, Jay. Like, that's really it. And I'm curious if you're pro or – I don't want to say anti because that's not the right word. But what do you see in this schedule? And what is Coach O'Leary telling you with this schedule? Well, it's the same schedule they've had. They had last year, basically. Sure. Um, you know that UCF match is like the one non-conference match that they play. Last year, they, it was at uh, in Charlottesville. This year, they're at UCF. Look, I think this is a byproduct of being in the ACC. And I had the same reaction you did when I was looking through, and I was like, man, like we're not going to get like a fun non-conference road trip in. Yeah, like, what are exactly. we doing? Where, where's the break? Michigan Ohio State swing in like yeah. early February? Or yeah, to your point, right. where's the ACC Pac-12 challenge the first week of March? Like that sort of thing. exactly. Or if we're if we're in Florida for spring break, like is Florida plant? You know, like yeah. can, can we go to Georgia? Like Texas are, swing, etc. Like yeah. the Pepperdine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, like. That run for the that doesn't exist on this Virginia calendar uh, schedule. No. Yeah, no, and, and there's nothing close to it. But mm-hmm. you know, on the flip side, they're in the ACC and they yeah. will have four to five top ten teams, top fifteen teams that they are playing week in week out. So there really aren't off weeks in the ACC. And so when you think about it from a player health perspective and just match in match out, you want your players to be healthy within the ACC. You don't have a lot of um, freedom to take the uh, to take those trips. I mean, to talk about that Pepperdine trip to Oklahoma, you know, Pepperdine is in a totally opposite scenario in the WCC where they don't even need. I mean, they have six players on the roster. They could win those matches with four, you know, so it's just a totally different situation. So it's hard to knock them. Would I love to see more non-conference scheduling? Absolutely. Yeah, I. Well put. If you're asking me, do I think it's going to compromise their chances at either top eight or top 16? No, because yep. as you alluded to, it's like, don't worry. UNC is going to be top 10. NC State's going to be top 10. Duke's probably going to be top 10. You win one of your, we'll say, five matches you play against that group in total throughout the course of the year. Or you go two and three against that group this season. Like, you're going to be in that top eight conversation. And, yep. you know, with that in mind, Top eight, obviously, you host the Super Regional round of 16 match. We have Virginia at number nine. And eventually, we'll pivot into the the back half of this question. But as we're at the number nine spot, the question I ask you, Jay, and I, again, I they're playing an ACC schedule, not a ton of non-conference. Why isn't this UVA team higher? We have them at number nine. We've talked about the returners. We've talked about the known commodities. I don't think we've named a single glaring vulnerability for this team. Like, at no point have we turned glass half empty about this team and said, like, eh, you know, they're, they kind of suck at this. Or, like, even the doubles combinations, we don't know them, but Coach O'Leary and this Virginia program have been good at doubles. So they've earned that benefit of the doubt even there. For a team that seems so solid, doesn't have a lot of holes they need to plug. Why aren't they higher, Jay? Well, when answering this question, it's helpful to look at the teams ahead of them, (laughs) right? Without naming who is exactly ahead of them. But ultimately, the biggest weakness here is not having an elite one, an elite number two, right? If you're a UTR advocate, right? We talked about um, USC on the last show, about three players above 11 UTR, Virginia has none. And so, yes, they have incredible depth, but you almost have, you know, yes, Subash is excellent making the round of 16. You know, is she going to be favored against these number ones? No, she's not. And I would say the same with whoever these teams put out against number two. And so when you are taking those blows at the top of the lineup, it is tough to make it up at four, five, and six because all of these teams have strong four, five, and six. So I think UVA is very strong there and will have a lot of success yes but that lack of elite player particularly for a team that has just gone two seasons with that 
that's definitely a weakness. No. Why are they ahead of USC, ahead of A&M, ahead of all the honorable mentions we alluded to in our last show? It's because we know they're six. And again, they're very good anywhere. Why aren't they ranked higher? Because as we've alluded to, Diane Schneider's not walking through that door where you're like, oh, yep, we're winning that Schneider point. Or like, <laughs> you know, as good as Shake is, she's not uh, ITA All-American semifinalist Annika Yarlagata, right? Like, or, you know, as good as the Subash Adams duo is, it's not back drummy. Schwetz, whoever the third, uh, fourth really good Duke player is up top, right? Where you're just like, well, I've seen Chloe Beck be number four in the country now for six years in a row, seemingly. Um, everyone's very good, but to your point, we're, we're, we, as as much as we haven't dissed anyone, you haven't heard the hyperbole train come out where it's like, oh, Emma Navarro might go after Stevie Johnson's win record, right? We're not <laughs> saying that about any of these UVA players where it's like they're Everyone's really good. But to yeah. your point, I don't know if anyone's elite. Yeah. 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 No, well, no one is elite, right? And, you know, compare that to, like, just comparing to USC, the reason we have UVA higher, despite not having an Aaron Cayetano or a Maddie Sieg, is because they are very strong at four, five, and six. I really like those players. We had some questions about USC there. So, you know, they're going to win a lot of matches in a lot of positions because they have a lot of options, but, you know, guaranteed points, they don't have any on the board. Yeah. I mean, you know what they do have that's elite though, that we, uh, that we should have mentioned is their coaching staff. Talk about in a, like on the list of coaches who I think are going to be really good at this for the next three plus decades. I think Sarah O'Leary has got to be at the top of your list, right? Like, I feel like she will be coaching high-level college tennis for as long as she wants to for the rest of her career. Yeah, absolutely. Former NCAA champion at North Carolina. Uh, you know, that was her first win over North Carolina in 2022. So that was a you know pivotal moment in her coaching career. You know, her associate head coach uh, also played at North Carolina, All-American there. So it's an all-UNC coaching staff. Um, but yeah, they've done an excellent job. They've done an excellent job recruiting, right? Bringing in Subash, Stravinsky, Emma Navarro, who was originally signed with Duke. So uh, they're firing on all cylinders there. And it's great to see um, as a former alum, but I also love to see when, you know, you have a school that has a very strong men's or women's program, but maybe not one or the other. You always question like, mm-hmm. hmm, why not? Like, what are the barriers here? So it's great to see here now, Virginia, often being one of the handful of schools that makes those only school with both the men's and women's programs in the elite eight type lists. Yeah, no, I mean, again, you, you're, you're in my head now about what would old school Alex Gruskin be saying and how do I make that more frequent? Let me just say one of the, one of my favorite hypotheticals to discuss is like, will Sarah O'Leary someday be the North Carolina coach? Not to say coach Calbus doesn't have many more decades ahead of him and he gets to hold on to the job as long as he wants. Just look at what he's built Carolina into. But like, I guess here's my question to you. This is a really stupid abstract thing for us. And then we'll offer predictions and we'll go. Is there a point where Sarah O'Leary, like if she wins a title at UVA, can't she not go – like, is there ever a point where she can't go back to UNC in your mind, where that job closes because of having so much success at a rival school, an in-conference school like Virginia? Does that door ever close, or is Sarah O'Leary the next North Carolina women's head coach? I can answer that a few different ways. Uh, as a Virginia alum, yeah. I feel like that door could always open, right? Like, <laughs> she could always go back to North Carolina – I do think having listened to and chatted with some of these coaches, like for them at some point that door does close. Right. Yeah. And the, the vision that they're building around, they're so intently focused on building it within the program that they are, are building it, that it, that no longer becomes the case. Often some coaches will have like, these are the schools I would leave for mm-hmm. at some point when you're building a head coaching career, I think that list dwindles and it dwindles um, quickly and with success at these schools. So Look, you know, I, I fear that about Coach Pedroso as well, a former Duke player. Uh, those are both things that are top of mind as a Virginia alum. But look, if, you know, if Calvis were to retire today, who is probably number one on that list, I, you know, could be uh, Coach O'Leary. 
It's just like you have to make the call, right? I mean, all due respect to UVA, which is exceptional, North Carolina might be the best women's sports school in the country, just historically what they do. I mean, Stanford obviously would like a conversation there as well, but like, uh, that's the fun one, right? That's the hypothetical that you just you keep an eye on big picture if you really nerd out about college tennis like we do. Yeah, I mean, the more interesting question for me is, you know, what does Peachy do? Yeah, right? I can't believe she didn't get a head coach. coaching job this summer. Like, I really thought, because I think this is her fifth year, I want to say, at UVA. Well, or? she it's same year as Coach O'Leary, so they yeah. started in 2017 together. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting one, because you does she go and get an asso- uh, a head coach job somewhere else? I thought does she was going to be the next Furman head coach. I'm not going to lie. And they picked the Duke assistant, whose name I'm blanking on right now, the most lovely woman. She's so kind. I can't. Bl- I will look it up as we're talking. But I thought I thought that was where this job was. Like, I was like, that's – you're absolutely – I cannot believe they're still together. Like, what a coup. Yeah. No, that's a, a huge coup. And that one's a more interesting one because, you know, Coach O'Leary could be there for the next 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. You know – that's probably not going to be the case um, for any associate head coach. So um, I know unless you're Frankie Brennan, so it'll be interesting to see, Um, you know, she has done an incredible job with recruiting. She has absolutely proven herself. Um, I am sure if any head coaching job is opening, they, she is on the short list. Michelle Dasso is at Furman. That's yeah, former Illinois coach. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, Michelle Dasso's assistant at Furman, Kelly Chen. I mean, that's a really fun staff. Very quietly. I really yes. like that one. Yes. I didn't know Kelly Chen was staying in college tennis. That's great to see. Nor did I. And so, again, this is this is the fun of the preseason, folks. This is why I get such a joy on my face, and you hear it in my voice whenever we do these things. Is you never know what fun facts you're going to find when you're getting prepared for the tournament. No, that's very yeah. true. When you do your research, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, the amount of – I'm like, you didn't play there. I was like, that's a lie. And then it turns out this coach was actually exceptional in like 1997 in their two seasons at Ball State or whatever it was. Um, Anyways, all of that said, the one thing we have yet to offer, predictions for this University of Virginia team. Let's start national indoors, kickoff weekend. You see them getting through South Carolina, Northwestern, Washington State? I do. I think if South Carolina gets through, that's always a tricky matchup if they have Hamner and Ackley at the top two given this Virginia lineup. But yeah, I see Virginia getting through. Okay, as according to these, <laughs> listen to this for the kickoff weekend. North Carolina number three seed, Duke number four seed, Virginia number five seed, NC State number six seed, Miami the ninth seed, and then you had, uh, uh, so excuse me, five top 10 seeds all belong in the ACC. With that in mind, where does this Virginia team finish in the conference, both regular season conference tournament? We I haven't talked they, about Miami at all, by the way. We have not. Uh, who is? Did we is, snub is, them? I'm nervous. They're on the short list, right? They return a lot of the same players from last yeah. year, and they bring in Alexa Noel one instead instead of Richardson. That is um, an improvement there. We can talk about Miami at another date. I think. <laughs> I think Virginia finishes tied for third in the conference. Okay. I do think they will um, finish there. And then are we making NCAA predictions? Well, let's work our way through. Um, Does Coach O'Leary get another win over UNC this year? Yes or no? No. Okay. Does she? I mean, that's really Virginia. That's the big rival for any (laughs) ACC team. Top eight, yes or no? Top eight seed come NCAA tournament? No. Okay. So with that in mind, round of 16, yes or no? They will make the round of 16. Will they make the quarterfinals? They will not make the quarterfinals. Okay. Give me your final take then. Summarize it for me, why you have them as just on the outskirts. So we talked about playing in the ACC. That will help significantly. I think some of the other ACC schools have made a a bigger step forward in a lot of ways than this North Carolina team. I mean, this Virginia team who loses Emma Navarro, still an excellent team, but relative to competition i think it's going to be a tougher go in the acc i think they are not going to get as many of those down the home stretch wins that they got i mean they got two wins over an nc state team who at the time was ranked number three in the regular season and in the conference they beat number one unc in that conference tournament before ultimately falling to duke 
I think that really elevated them to be a top five seed in the NCAA conversation. I don't think they get those sorts of wins this season. I think they're going to be getting the wins over your Georgia Techs, Miami, and that's not going to be enough to be a top eight seed. No, even, I mean, again, Wake Forest may have lost some faces. They've been pretty darn good over the course of the last five years. Florida State, obviously a down year last year, but should they get to, I don't know, eight players on the roster this season? It's already a step in the right direction. You could see them bouncing back, and it's just like, to your point, they could lose matches to just NC State, just Duke, just UVA, uh, excuse me, just UNC, who will all be top 10 teams throughout the course of this year. And yet all of a sudden you have three conference losses now. And just like you lose three conference matches more often than not, you are not competing for that conference title. I agree with all of your predictions. I think this team is really, really good. And much like we said about the Virginia men last year, in other seasons, this team would be unequivocally top eight. And this team wouldn't be a title contender, but they would be the team you just don't want to face because you know what you're going to get with them, match in, match out. They're almost the litmus test of what it means to be good in college tennis in 2023. Yeah. The problem is good isn't good enough, right? Like that's what it comes down to is that UNC is benching one of Riley Tran or Annika Yarlagata. That NC State, for our intensive purposes, is bringing in a Diane Schneider. That Texas, you know, Texas is two weeks away from Howie announcing that Iga Sviantek is going to come spend the month of January and February with them, but only playing three singles. Don't worry, because they don't want to compromise some of the other development. Like, that's how good these teams are. You know, again, the last thing I would, last thought exercise I would propose for you it's so fascinating, like, comparing this team to Pepperdine, right? Because, like, Pepperdine, mm. you're just like, that. that's the fireworks show, right? That's the high upside, but, man, they're one injury away from not having a full roster. Literally. That wasn't hyperbole. Literally one injury away, we're playing five players. Versus UVA, where it's just like... I just uh, the delta when we when we learned stats initially it was always Q1 to Q3 right that's how you learned it I just feel like the gap between Q1 and Q3 quartile one quartile three for Virginia is very small like it just feels like I know within a certain range they could go 23 and six again like that that just feels like the right number yeah you're right the distribution in these players yeah, is, exactly is, you know it's a very tight tight confidence interval we have on these players here confidence uh, interval shout out to you Jay. <laughs> The stats at UVA. Um, yeah. Shout out. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, again, that comes back to like the lack of just elite players, right? Where there aren't fireworks on this roster, but it's just incredibly solid up and down. Not a lot of, not too many outstanding questions. And they have depth, right? So if they do lose a player and you have Melody Collard slot up into six, like you feel fine about that, right? She's had a good fall. She had a solid fall. So, they have a lot of players here, um, and they're just going to be a tough if, – if another team has an injury, right? Not even Pepperdine, but you'd have to bring everyone up. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, well, now we're definitely not winning six against UVA. It's going to be a challenge. So, yeah, I, I think this team is uh, – it will be a gritty team. I think they will have a lot of really close matches this year, play a lot of teams very tight. Um, they might just not come out on the winning end of those. Yeah, I think that's a very good assessment. And certainly, again, just because we have this UVA team at number nine does not mean we don't understand how successful and exceptional they will be, uh, not only this season, but in comparison to the roster talent, again, uh, compared to perhaps prior years. But welcome to 2023, folks. While we have this extended COVID bubble, five years of high school graduates playing college tennis, the standards are just elevated for what we should expect from each and every one of these top teams. With that said, number nine in your Cracked Rackets Division One women's preseason poll, give us the University of Virginia Cavaliers. With that said, two teams down, eight to go, John Parsons. And of course, Jay and I will be back Thursday 
I should say, Tuesdays and Thursdays of every week. Obviously, odd number will come Tuesday. Just kidding. Even number will come Tuesday. Odd number will come on Thursday. Chris Halioris and I are going to be doing the Wednesday-Friday shows as well, the men's equivalent. So be on the look for all of that content here on your Great Shot podcast feed. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of the podcasts possible. By the way, we have truly shifted into off-season mode. I'm not trying to brag or, you know, present myself as more egotistical than all of you listeners know I am. We've killed the pods over the course of the past week. All right, folks, like, I'm telling you, if you are looking for any sort of off-season coverage, we've had that conversation, whether it be on the Mini Break podcast, whether it be on the Cracked Interviews podcast, obviously here on this show as well. We've got you covered, folks. So, again, all the podcasts, you know where to find them, Spotify, I, Apple iPod, bah, 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 bah. you get the point at this point. So leave all of that in and shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. With that said, Jay, any final words before we wrap today's show? Go who's? <laughs> I like it. Well, then with that said, for the legend, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, your number nine team. Entering the 2023 season, the University of Virginia Cavaliers. Who's number eight? You can find out next week. But for now, Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks as always, Jay. Jay.